Now live at 6 o'clock, KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quack Smack. I like talking talking sports. Quack Smack. What? Quack Smack. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Quack Quack. Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of Quack Smack. Now let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. Hello, and welcome into the KWVA Studios for tonight's edition of Quack Smack. I'm Lily Crane here with Aiden Hess and Gavin Carpenter. I don't know about you guys, but pretty jam-packed weekend full of sports. Um, had a little bit of difficult time getting up this morning, going to classes. How was your guys' weekends? I mean, from a sporting perspective, not particularly great. But other than that, it was a pretty good weekend. <laughs> I wish that certain things could have gone in a different direction. But that's how sports work, and that's why we're always excited to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a jam-packed weekend. We had four basketball games and four days at a um, championship weekend of football. Even had our own football, KWVA Madden Bowl, took place on Friday. That was something a lot of fun a lot of fun but uh, a pretty good weekend not really the yeah I guess not really the outcomes I wanted either but <laughs> we're, we're gonna talk about all of it so I'm ready to get into it yeah and championships you were in the championship game Aiden I was I kind of was unsure how I got there but I was in <laughs> it I was there I unfortunately lost um, but you know what it's not about I guess it's about the journey not about the ending so that was fun yeah well we got a good show for you guys tonight. No better way to start out your Monday than uh, with Quack Smack. So <laughs> let's dive into it. We'll, we'll start with uh, some Oregon men's basketball, get into some women's basketball later, and some NFL conference championships. So men's basketball, Ducks faced uh, Arizona State on Thursday with an 80-61 to victory. Uh Got, had a little bit of a slower start uh, in the first half, but then came out strong and, and got it done. And then on Saturday, big matchup against then number nine, Arizona. And not, again, not the outcome that the Ducks wanted, 87 to 78 loss. Uh, so Oregon will now move to six and three in the Pac 12 conference and 14 to six overall. But now have lost three of their last four games. So let's begin with just initial impressions from the weekend. Uh, anything new that you guys uh, learned from this team? Start with you, Gavin. If anything, what we learned, especially from that Arizona game, is simply that this team can beat any other team at any, other, at any time. It may not always be likely. It may not always be 100% chance of happening, but this team can beat any other team. You look at Arizo that Arizona game and you say, okay, if Caleb Love does not go for 36 points, then that game is a different story. The Ducks played Arizona so closely for a lot of that game, were just two possessions away from getting back into that for the majority of the second half, that if Caleb Love does not go off in the way that he does in any other major situation, the Ducks are right in that game, one-point game, two-point game, even winning that game and leading that game at home, they did not in any way play poorly in that Arizona game. So, to me, if the main takeaway, even from that loss, even though it was nine points, even though it was not 
necessarily what the Ducks were hoping for at home, and at the very least proved that this team can compete with any team in the country whatsoever. Well, I think my I think my general outlook of it, I think this weekend was really a reality check for Oregon. I mean, they got out to the fast start in conference play, 5-0, and um, which I think a lot of people, some of even ourselves at the station, really didn't expect, but but happy by this 5-0 and start. And now, like you mentioned, Lily, they, they've lost three of their last four. I thought um, not really a tune-up game, ASU, not a pushover by any means, but I thought they, they looked pretty good in that matchup. And then the Arizona one, the big one, uh, they ended up losing, but... I think the the main point that sticks out for me from the Ducks in their last three home games, um, Cal, ASU, and Arizona, is they, they've kind of gone through some cold streaks in the first half. They've really had some moments where they've just been able to put the ball in the basket and have fallen behind. And I think maybe you can get away with some of that against a, a lesser Pac-12 team like like ASU or or Cal. But but Arizona, they they've been they've been the top dog of of the conference for a while. And I think falling behind, getting yourselves into a hole, even though Oregon was able to make a little bit, a little bit of an impasse, like like right at the half with that crazy Kuznard buzzer beater, just just weren't really able to get over the hump. It it, it seemed, and yeah, that, that's kind of it's kind of my view on on this weekend. Yeah, and there's I want to mention that there's been some pretty big home games this season for Oregon men's basketball. You know that uh, head coach Dana Altman kind of had some words about kind of the fans coming to the games at the end of last season uh, in the NIT. Uh, loss um but you know there's been some the game against michigan before students went to winter break and then uh later on usc coming to town some really big crowds some of the biggest uh we've seen in a while i wasn't able to get tickets to this game i don't know about you guys if either of you went there you were there what was the crowd like it was it was pretty good i think well arizona's generally the it's usually i feel like the last couple years was last year for sure oregon's biggest home game um, I think probably going to be the biggest crowd uh, this year. It would be my guess, but it was it was a pretty good environment. Just un- unfortunately, Oregon really couldn't get any any substance on offense. It would the crowd could really propel them past Arizona, but but I thought I thought the energy was was pretty good. Uh, and also wanted to yeah, this team is getting cl- seems like it's getting closer to full strength, and then something else happens and, and Nate Biddle. Uh, did return to the squad over the weekend, uh, and then unfortunately, seems like an injury to uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew. Uh, and yeah, with more players coming back, Dante came back uh, about a week ago. Uh, more players coming into the lineup. I guess who's stood out to you guys in the latest kind of stretch of games? And at this stage of the season, is there any? Play- player or players that you guys think are uh Oregon can rely on to consistently show up for the rest of the season I think at the very least seeing Dante back in what seems like very near full strength these last two games was very nice to see of course 16 points against Arizona State 19 points against Arizona good rebounding statistics in both of those games six and uh excuse me um yeah six in Arizona State five in Arizona you're starting to see him. He's now playing at the level that we expect of Dante, and that's good to see because he will be. You will be able to rely on him. Seeing Biddle back will be nice. I'll be excited to see how quickly he gets back to where where we think Nate Biddle can be. Um, but the real the strength of this team is how deep it is, and how you don't have to say, 
okay, the Ducks need to rely on Shellstead, or the Ducks need to rely on Cousinard, or the Ducks need to rely on Dante even, they can rotate if Shellstead's having a cold streak. Like, he hasn't really been shooting well so far in the last week or two. You can say, okay, Cousinard's going to step up. And he does. He scores 39 in the last two games. You can say, Bam Tracy, okay, you need to step up. Okay, this Kwame Evans, what he did to step up with both Biddle and Dante out. To say that this team can rely, or what players we should be looking at to rely, that this team is going to rely on, the greatest strength of this team is that you don't have to rely on any one player, any two players. Even if one player is only good for one week, there'll be another player that'll step up, and there'll be another player that'll step up, and there'll be another player that'll step up. And that is the difference between this team and a lot of other teams in the country right now is that they are so deep. And once you get into that depth, there are so many great players who will step up and be leaders for a game or two games in that stretch that this team can really go places and they can step up. And no matter who's cold on what day, there will always be more players that can step up. Yeah, I think I think I like your point on that, Gavin. I like um, noting about Oregon's depth. It's, it's I think it's improved certainly from the the inconsistencies we saw last year. I guess if there was a leader that you could point out, it would definitely be Jermaine Kuznard. I mean, he has the experience, um, fifth-year guy. Uh, it, se- it seems like whenever Oregon needs a big shot, when they're when they're kind of going through a cold stretch, I mean, he showed it in the game against Cal. It just He's really, I think, they're easily their best three-point shooter. Um, he's just been able to will the Ducks kind of back out of some deficits they, they've dug themselves into. But Dante Dante's looking good. I, I'm excited to see he's getting back to full strength. Just um, really good. Uh, not not so great uh, against Arizona on the boards, but that was kind of the story for the entire Ducks team. We might talk about their rebounding in that game a little bit, but um, Dante's looking good. He he seems strong in the post. And then Biddle I think is a maybe like you know how like Dante got back into schedule and Biddle's kind of like a week behind. I think Biddle he's getting back, but it's not 100%, not full strength in the post yet, um, but it's just really unfortunate to see uh, um, Bartholomew get injured. I, I thought he was really a spark off the bench. I know some people were even calling for Keyshawn Bartholomew to start because Jackson Chelstad is kind of going through a rough patch right now. I, I, I think he'll be able to turn it around. Um, he's going to have to now with Bartholomew out, but I think the, the depth of Oregon is good, and there's really not one guy you pick on to, to make a big shot. Kuznard, I think, is at the top of the list, but it's really not such a big gap between first place and everyone else on that roster. Yeah, and yeah, I think Dante, I mean, he's kind of been the guy that this program's just gone to for a while, and with him absent, maybe could have been a good thing for the squad for some of these younger players to kind of find a rhythm and other, other guys stepping up, but now that he's back, um, that's just another player that they can go to. And I, yeah, I would say that I'm. I've been I've been impressed by Jermaine Cousinard. That it seems like he's really stepped up into a big leadership role this season, and he's been reliable. I, I believe he's played in all twenty of the Ducks games. And then and then yeah, I like what you said, Gavin, as well. Just can rely on a lot lots of different players. Um, and to to play and step up at any time if another guy is in a cold stretch someone else can kind of pick up the scoring and yeah Shellstad definitely big player for them in that non-conference schedule once he made his debut and start of the conference season two but as trying to look for his rhythm a little bit in this latest stretch of games but so it'll be interesting to see uh 
if he's able to find his shot again, especially if uh, Keyshawn's going to miss some time. Uh, and, yeah, now they have the addition of these two seven-footers. So Dante and Biddle both back. See what it'll look like once they both get uh, healthier and into their groove. Biddle only played 12 minutes in both of those last two games over the weekend. So, But he started, so see if he picks up uh, some more minutes going forward. So the matchup against the Wildcats, the Wildcats was a prime opportunity uh, for this squad to prove that it belongs at the top of the conference. It still has one of the best records in the conference up there with Arizona, but that was really big opportunity to show the rest of the nation, maybe even an argument potentially for the top 25. Uh, obviously not the result the team wanted, but not about halfway through this conference schedule, um, not as many more games like that, especially at home left. They do play Arizona one more time on the road. Is there anything that this team needs to do or needs to change to get that resume boosting win this season? I mean, I would like to see the Ducks shore up defense a little bit. I would like to see them work a little bit more on cleaning the glass, both defensively and especially offensively. I'd like to see them take advantage of offensive rebounds a little bit more, especially since they've got both of their bigs back now. Um, especially from uh, exterior defense and working on defense from beyond the three-point arc, I think that just a little bit more focus from guards on getting that three-point defense secured will make a very big difference, especially in situations where you have a player like a Caleb Love who's going off and shooting 63% from three and going off for 36 points in tighter game. Like, realistically, because this while, while the score is nine points, this game very easily could have been closer, and on any other given day, it may well be closer in a neutral site if the Ducks have to play them in the Pac-12 tournament or when the Ducks have to go to Arizona and play them there. In, and in those situations, you want to make sure that, especially because the Ducks can be a little bit cold from three, that you don't want, ever want to trade threes for twos. So shoring up that perspective, at the very least, would be a nice step to get there. Also getting those offensive rebounds and making sure to make sure that Arizona or Arizona State or any other teams that they have to play forward do not get those offensive rebounds, which was a problem earlier in that Arizona game. Those will be the two things, because realistically at this point, this team feels like a near-complete team when you watch them. It feels, they have their ups and downs, they have their good days and their bad days, but it feels like there's little at this point from a coaching perspective that you can look at them and say, okay, we really need to step up our game on this, or we really need to work on this. It feels like it's just some finishing touches, and then it's up to, okay, well, how well are the players playing that day? How well are they shooting that day? How well are they matching up with the players on the opposing team that day? Because at this point, I think from a coaching perspective, there's only so much you can do. But yeah, offensive rebounds, shoot, uh, defense from beyond the arc, those would be my two maybe things that need to get tweaked a little bit. But other than that, I feel like this team is very close to being a complete team. Well, I think their I think their defense in, in this game, I, I want to hope and say that it was an outlier because Oregon's defense at home versus on the road is is much, much better. I mean, they're, the most points they allowed at home, I believe, was 83, and that was an overtime game against Michigan. So you have to take that into into consideration that Oregon's defense has been a lot better at home but but Arizona I mean they're they're a high flying offense they average something like 88 points a game which is it, it it's hard to win when you give up 8 when you give up 87 in this case to to the Wildcats so 
I think, I mean, credit to Arizona. I think their game plan was really well. That's something that it had killed Arizona, which is why they've been stumbling in, in some of these road conference games against Oregon State last Thursday, Wazoo, and I believe Stanford um, on the road was, was that their three-point defense had been bad. They Opponents against the Wildcats were shooting like 40 for 80. That's 50% from beyond the arc, and I, and I think they really did a good job zoning in their, their perimeter defense against the Ducks because Oregon – they didn't really take as many threes as they did on Thursday against ASU. They sh- they shot like shot 22 against the Sun Devils because they were open. They were getting good looks. They weren't making them as much. Just just had knocked down seven against Arizona State. But uh, I think Arizona's defensive game plan was was really strong. And and for Oregon, it was just unfortunate they're not able to get that signature win. But but I think there there's a a good path ahead of them. That's Arizona. I think is the the hardest Pac-12 opponent they're going to play, and it's it's really a a weaker conference, I think, compared to most years when, I mean, like one or two years ago, you had UCLA really not at the elite level, kind of in a rebuilding stage. SC, they're in the doldrums right now. Not saying they still have good talent on their team, but they just have not been able to to piece it together at the moment. And uh, the Mountain schools are always going to be tough. You've already played them, so I think for Oregon, looking forward, they they can look to be competitive and. It's unfortunate they weren't be able to pick up that, that big high-ranked upset win and, and kind of surge themselves into the polls. But there's a lot of conference play left, just about halfway done, and I, I think the Ducks, have they, they've got a good shot at making it. Just consistency has got to be a key, and you, you can't have a, a super major slip-up. And kind of going off of that a little bit, I guess just kind of overall predictions for how the rest of the season's going to kind of play out. Do we think for the regular season is this team going to – continue to cool down a little bit or do you guys think that they're gonna refine kind of their groove and finish off strong and uh, only I think four more home games this season the rest on the road do we think they're gonna be able to get those done Aiden oh I was just gonna say the, the Ducks have five more home games five more? yeah they got the oh, they do have the five, Washington yeah. schools OSU and then the mountain schools at the end but uh, I think for Oregon yeah like I, I said I think they've already kind of played some of their toughest opponents. The only game I, I wouldn't really expect them or I, I can't see them winning would be would be uh, at Arizona. I'm actually going to be going down for that game, visiting one of my friends in Tucson. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. But I think the rest of them, Oregon, Oregon's got a good shot to win. I mean, they've got the Washington schools at home, not this weekend, but the next one. They already swept them, uh, already beat the Huskies and the Cougars both on the road. And But I think this weekend's a big one. They've got the L.A. schools, and despite them, kind of struggling overall this season. UCLA's doing a little bit better. SC, not really. I think SC's now in last place of the Pac-12. But these are still big games for the Ducks. These are still um, boosts of momentum. I think the Ducks need to be able to capture and then and then take that into some of these um, late-season homestands down the stretch. Yeah, I like your point. I think that even the Arizona game, I think, is still winnable for the Ducks if you look at it in that way. I think that the great thing about this team is that they can beat anybody and they can go in and they can play anybody. That being said, that greatest strength is also in sometimes their greatest weakness because you'll see games like the Cal game where if you take Cal's talent and you take Oregon's talent and you put those teams together, you think, okay, well, that's going to be a blowout for Oregon. And then that game ends up being closer than it probably should be. You'll see the Oregon plays teams close. That's a good thing when it's Arizona. That's not a great thing when it's a team that they probably shouldn't be running with at all. And you'll see games like Utah. Utah's a great example of this. When they went on the road to Utah, lost 80-77. to That game was close for pretty much the entire length of the game. I don't think either team had a lead by more than eight at any point in that game. 
and that game came down to the final minutes. They can do that with any team in the country, but any team in the country can do that to them. So realistically, when you look at that winning stretch against USC, UCLA, that five-game winning stretch coming in, this team, was that this team being good at finishing games and being able to get those road wins out and getting those home wins out and getting those wins out in that five-game stretch? Or is that just they can play it close and then last two minutes it's up to chance? I would say that in the last 11 games of the season, I'd say about three, I could see three losses happening. I think probably the Ducks split with Oregon State because it's that kind of rivalry. It's those kinds of games. Probably they lose in Corvallis and then win at home. Um, they lose to Arizona on the road. That's going to be a difficult game to win. I would say of e- that's easily the least likely game that Oregon will be able to win. And maybe either losing to Colorado at home or losing to Stanford on the road or some weird situation where they drop it there. There's one more game because of the way that they play teams that it's possible that they could lose, not specifically to any specific team, but to any given team it's possible that they could do that. But I still think it realistically at this situation, they still have a very – feasible opportunity to play themselves in the March Madness without having to rely on a tournament situation to get there. Yes, could very well be an Oregon team that's playing itself more than its opponent uh, and will want to be careful not to play to the level of its opponent uh, and do the best it it can to to finish out the season strong. Uh, Just real quick, is do you guys think that this is a tournament team or do we think it's a team headed for its third straight NIT? Well, I think they're I think they're on the bubble right now. Is looking at some um, bracketology experts, if you want to call them that. Their their predictions, and they say Oregon's like, oh, they're the next four out or the next four in. But they're kind of on that borderline right now, and I think it's a really important stretch. And I think defending home court's going to be big. If Oregon can win a, a big majority of their games, maybe go eight and three. I think um, depending on the the quality loss of opponent, I, I think Oregon can find themselves in in playing uh, March basketball. I think the easiest and most feasible route to a tournament would be 8-3 and three and, a, and a, the first-round tournament win. I think that's the route where you get to the tournament and you can say, okay, made it to the, semi, or the, the last four teams in the tournament, won eight of their last 11, only losses have been to very high-quality teams, played really well in a very solid conference, played exceedingly well at home. I think that's the recipe for them to get there. I think anything more than three losses in the regular season you start having to look at okay they need a deep Pac-12 tournament run or a Pac-12 tournament victory in order to automatically qualify them in but I think that it is very feasible I think that I would go so far as to say it's about a 50-50 shot right now as to whether this team makes the tournament or not I think that how they play in the final stretch of the season and how they play in the final stretch of specific games will determine the is going to be the difference between them making the tournament and them have spending another year in the NIT. Yeah, I think it's going to be close. I'm going to say either first four in or first four out for March Madness. Uh, We're going to take a break here on 88.1. Just got done talking some Oregon men's basketball. We'll come back and get in some Oregon women's basketball after the break. KWVA. KWVA. The Skate Park Project, formerly the Tony Hawk Foundation, is a skateboarding organization that helps communities build public skate parks for youth in underserved communities. To date, nearly 600 recipients of the Skate Park Project grants have opened their skate parks. 
These parks receive more than 6 million annual visits by youth who benefit from the active lifestyle and camaraderie the facilities promote. Learn more about the Skate Park Project by visiting www.skatepark.org. Students, when I call the reason for your absences throughout the years, please exit the auditorium without your high school diploma. <clears throat> Too tired. Family trip. Sick day. Starting the holidays early. Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. There are nearly 20 million refugees worldwide fleeing terror, war, violence, and political and religious persecution. Refugees admitted to permanently resettle in the U.S. have been passed through multiple levels of rigorous screening and security clearance. They want what we all want, peace, security, and freedom from fear. Refugees are survivors, families, and no different from us. It's time we welcome refugee families with open arms. Learn more at EmbraceRefugees.org. Let's go, Dr. Pepper Hip. Whack smack. Whack smack. Hello, and welcome back to the Monday edition of Quack Smack. Uh, I'm Lily Crane, joined by Aiden Hess and Gavin Carpenter. We just got done talking some Oregon men's basketball. Uh, now let's dive into some Oregon women's basketball uh, in its latest pair of home games. Ducks went 0-2 on the weekend, continuing its four-game losing streak. Uh, not against... Had a loss against Utah, number 16, was number 16 in the nation, and then a loss to what was then number three, Colorado, uh, to finish out the, the homestands with a donut. Uh, are there any positives to be taken from this weekend? I mean, it's not the easiest thing. You kind of got to search a little bit here, but there is some upside to this. When you look at Utah and when you look at Colorado, both ranked teams, Colorado at the time the number three team in the country, both teams that average a very high number of points per game, Colorado at 80, Utah at 84, the defense for the Ducks played well. Especially in Utah, in the case of the Utah game, 21 points at the half allowed to Utah. An excellent half of basketball. That being said, and you could also argue that the from the Colorado perspective, the second half was played very well on defense, 30 points allowed for them, but the problem fundamentally for the Ducks right now is the offense is not performing at the level that it needs to. The defense is there. The defense is performing at the level that it needs to to be able to compete in these games, which is why the scores are 10 and 13 and not 20 and 23 or 30, but fundamentally the offense is not performing at the level that it needs to because the defense is there. The defense is showing that these this team can compete at that level and can compete with these teams. But the offense has just been performing at such a rate that it seems like a bigger deficit than it actually is because when you have an offense that is performing poorly, it makes the team look worse than it actually seems 
because of when you look, when a team misses five, six shots in a row and is going on that cold slump, it feels worse. The deficit feels bigger than it actually is, and the team feels worse than it actually is. This is a team that can actually show up and compete. The defense has shown that in both of these games against top 25 opponents, but that offense is really just dragging them down, and they need to do something quickly to fix it. Otherwise, this four-game streak... The Pac-12 is a brutal slate right now. This four games, there is a realistic possibility that this team ends the season 0-13. Oh, and, and that would not be in any way good for a team that can compete, for a team that can win some of these games. They need to change something on offense for that to get there because the defense has been playing at a level that shows they can compete with these teams. Uh, oh, yeah, well, I think, uh, can you say at least Oregon was consistent? I mean, no, not really. They they did score 48 points in both their games, but 58-48 loss to Utah and then 61-48 to loss to Colorado. But I think Oregon, I mean, they, they played a good half in each game, but unfortunately you have to play two good halves, I think, in order to win. They played pretty good at first half against Utah. They, they built themselves an eight-point lead, and, and their defense, like, like Gavin, you were saying, that, that's kind of been a, a bright spot, I think, of Oregon. They, the Pac-12 is in a really elite conference. You have a lot of high-ranking teams, especially um, around the top 15, top 10 even. And I think Oregon has done a, a good job of kind of holding some of these squads under their, their season average. But unfortunately, they're not coming out with a bigger number at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, Oregon went over two this weekend. But I think, I think the offense is definitely something, I mean, um, especially – in that first half against Colorado, I mean, they went completely dormant. I mean, 11 points a half, we can just say that that's abysmal. That's not good at, at any level of basketball. And I think um, when you just put yourselves at the bottom of a mountain that, that steep to climb in the remaining out of, amount of time, it's it's I think it's virtually impossible to come back based where Oregon's offense is at this moment. But, I mean, just some of the some of the player highlights against Utah was – um, the the Filipina Che and Chance Gray show. I mean, Che had 19, Gray had 18, but the thing is, no one else chipped in. Uh, obviously, um, you can look and say, oh, Gray's fan Sluton didn't play, um, so that comes up to be a, a big factor in that Utah game, and maybe Oregon could have pulled off the upset if if um, GVS was in the ball game. But um, when your third highest score is just getting you three points, and it, it's it's really tough, and especially uh, for Oregon, I mentioned it when I was hosting. Uh, last week is is those single digit scoring quarters. Oregon's kind of had a, a a pretty big handful of those, and that and that really puts them behind the eight ball. Um, doesn't matter what what quarter you really experience that. It's it's really tough to to make up for it with a with a big scoring outburst uh, uh, following that. Yeah, and I would say I mean on the bright side, uh, I guess a positive that can be taken from the weekend's matchups is. These are two of the the best teams in the country. I mean, uh, we've touched on it. This is one of the best conferences in the country, if not the best. Uh, just USC, UCLA, Utah, Colorado, Stanford, just so many teams within the top 25 that have just shown so much potential and have the ability to go deep in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I, w I was really impressed by the Utah game. Uh, first half, uh, we were we were at the Madame Bowl, but I was I was watching uh, the the play by play on my phone, and I did I did not expect the Ducks to play the kind of first half they did, um, 
at the end of the first quarter, I mean, the Ducks had the Ducks had a lead. It, it was the Ducks only had 13 points, but they held Utah to seven. Yeah, and uh, Alyssa Peely. I mean, she, I don't think she scored uh, the Utah forward. I don't think she scored in the entirety of the first half, and that's a player that two games prior had um, 37 points for Utah against, I think it was USC, and they were just able to really limit her. So, I'm, I mean, there's there's positive to be taken from the from the weekend. Yeah, I mean, and you said Alyssa Pilly, she only had 16 points against Oregon, which I think was a really good defensive effort the Ducks put on because last year she scored, uh, I believe it was 37 against the Ducks at Matthew Knight Arena in Utah, ended up putting up triple digits. So the defense overall um, played a good game, just their offense couldn't make up for it. Yeah, and and that's been kind of the issue at times for this team is is the offense and defense can't always get going at the same time uh obviously have been lots of issues defensively and this isn't this isn't really a three-point shooting team it wasn't built to be a three-point shooting team for Oregon and then and then some of these losses come down to the three ball because they they aren't they play they love to play this zone defense that <laughs> allows the oppo- the opponent to get out and uh just score a bunch of threes and then when they're not doing that on the other end, it, it can be hurtful. But for the most part, it's it was a pair of better performances than they ha- than they had in in the conference season. And and like you said, big big performances from P- Filipina Che. Uh, so I guess with this team moving forward, we Gavin, you talked about the risks of finishing the season out poorly and and trying to prevent that what adjustments uh do you guys think this team should and can uh, plausibly make down the stretch of the season to finish off strong first thing that they need to do is they need to minimize turnovers that is at the very least something there's a certain point from an offensive perspective where it's like where do you start where do you need to fix at the very least you can say getting more shot opportunities is nice especially and it's always when you look at the turnover numbers for the ducks they're never too like they're not ridiculous it's 15 turnovers a game it's it's not a number you like to see but it's not a number that's going to put you top 25 in the country for negative turnover margin and yet it always seems to come at the most inopportune times it's always the turnovers that happen right before right in the middle of a run by the opposing team or right after a timeout from Kelly Graves, you immediately see a turnover by the Ducks. Ball security is especially important in situations where games are close and where there's a big run going on. It's those momentum killers off those turnovers that are doing so much damage. Of course, also, you get into the statistics of it when you look at Colorado and you see that they scored 22 points off turnovers. That's a big margin as well, but it's that momentum killer that really does the damage, and that turnover nar- margin needs to be fixed. Another big point, they need to work on ma- on limiting opponents' offensive rebounds. That's something that was especially bad in the, Colorado- in the Colorado game, is you would see Colorado had 20 offensive rebounds that game. That's a number that should not be seen in women's basketball at this point. That's just not a number that you should be seeing at any point in time. That should not be allowed to happen 
that needs to be worked, especially when you have the size advantage for the majority of the game down low. Filipina Che is bigger than pretty much any major rebounder in the conference, bar one or two people, and none of those people are playing for the Buffaloes. You need to be able to make sure that that rebounding advantage is utilized properly, or at the very least, is utilized in a way that does not lead to that big of a disparity in terms of rebounds and that big of a disparity in terms of offensive rebounds. Positioning your bigs closer to that paint, especially on defense, is going to be helpful in that way because that was something that they were struggling with in the first half against Colorado. From an offensive perspective, there's things that can be worked on, but at the end of the day, they're just not shooting well, and there's not much you can really do in terms of coaching. Trying to make the extra pass would be a good idea because you don't see that as much, or you'll see poor pass choices where court awareness may not always be the best in terms of where players are choosing to pass the ball. And I think that that's something that could be worked on. But I think that that rebound disparity and that turnover margin especially is something that really needs to be worked on. And if that is worked on, you might see some solid improvement from the Ducks very quickly. Yeah, I think I think I agree with all the points Gavin made. But um, I guess just one differ- differentiation I have is I think the Ducks, I mean, this weekend is, is one case in particular, but I think they need to spread the ball around. When you just have... Grace Van Sluten, um, Gray, and and Che really just carrying the scoring load, but but no help from anyone else. When at, that just allows opposing defenses to they can really just zone in on those three players. And when you have even just one of your main offensive components go go down, it really just puts your offense into into haywire. I think so. Oregon they they have some other decent options, and it's not like they're really just having the same five play the majority of the minutes. I mean. Granted, they're they're going to get a, a big chunk of them, but they they have bench pieces that that can come in and and give you decent minutes and maybe um, be able to stop an, an opposing run or just take get fouled and get to the line. Just do anything that you can to really um, limit the limit the bleeding, kind of get you back in the ball game scoring wise when you go cold. Yeah, and that that was what I was what I would say is scoring outside of the big three is desperately needed I think I don't know the exact stat but I think it might be only one player since the Pac-12 season started Pac-12 slate started only one player uh, on the Ducks outside of Chance Grave Grace Van Sluten and Filipina Che has scored over double digits Uh, and so that supplementary scoring is is something that Oregon needs because like you said it, it it makes it easier for the opposing team to scout. And especially when on Friday, no Grace Van Sluten mentioned they had the lead at the half, which was impressive given her absence. But especially if one of those players is having a difficult shooting night or is absent, uh, then not a whole lot going for Oregon. And then also Sophia Bell going down with an injury in that Utah game while She's not one a member of the big three. She's a consistent starter and a player that has capability of uh, shooting the three ball. Um, b- big player on the defensive end of the floor as well, and and has the potential to be a scorer down the stretch of the season. As she's still just a freshman, finding her groove. But I guess finishing off this segment, I guess more predictions. Is is there a chance of this? Do you guys think there's a chance of this team making any noise in the Pac-12 tournament? We saw last season uh, it was Washington State squad that 
just went on a run and won it all and seen it in the past uh, on both the men's and women's side. Is, is there any chance of that happening or at least, you know, first round upset? It's hard to say at this point because it'll really depend on who they're playing and how much changes between now and the end of the year. The good news for the Ducks is that Washington, Washington State, and California are three of their last four games, and those are going to be the three easiest games left on their slate at this point. Granted, none of those games are particularly easy at all because this is the Pac-12 and any team can be competitive in a national setting, but at the very least, if the Ducks can sort of initiate some kind of change later, they have the ability to, and their schedule is set up in such a way that it is possible for them to gain some momentum going into the tournament. That being said, their last game is Stanford. It'll depend on who they're playing in the tournament. I think it's possible, though unlikely, but it'll really depend on how the games, as much as they've got five back-to-back ranked games coming up in the next five games, the most important games of the season are going to be Washington, Washington State, and California, those three of those last four games, because those are the games that's going to show the Ducks, can they come into momentum with the tournament? Can they figure out what their struggles are against those ranked teams to be able to beat those three teams who are not ranked and who are not playing quite as well? And can they come into the tournament with just enough momentum to be able to squeak by in a first round and maybe show something that they haven't really shown as much so far into this Pac-12 conference play? Well, yeah, I know we were talking about it last Monday when I was hosting. Um, Oregon is is winless on the road in in Pac-12 play right now. They are only two wins. Um, we're a weekend sweep uh, during that ice and all that um, with against ASU and Arizona. Um, and really, we were talking about, well, can Oregon, the Pac-12 is a gauntlet. It's, it doesn't get any easier, um, but I think it's kind of at the hardest that it's going to be um, until you get past those games. But we were talking about, can Oregon find a way to win a game on the road? And uh, I think all of our predictions led to Washington. They think um, the Ducks are able to pull out a victory in Seattle or Pullman. And then they've got Cal, and I agree with you, Gavin. I think those are the those are the the three easiest games down the stretch. So if Oregon can have a good road trip in Washington, and then um, find a way to to win one against Cal, and then Stanford, 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 that's going to be a real tough one that uh, on Senior Day. But I don't want to be a, a total doomer in this scenario. Oregon, they they've been at the top of the Pac-12, and now I think they're experiencing kind of the lower end right now. It's a, it's a really top-heavy conference. It's an elite conference at that, um, and it's really, it's really, really tough to compete right now when I think just the Ducks aren't up to quite the standard they, they hope for um, with the, comp- the competition in this conference. So um, maybe they can pull off an upset in, in Vegas or um, maybe even get on a run. That would be the, the dream scenario like Washington State did last year, but um, I can't see them making a whole lot of noise, but but maybe they can get a little bit loud down to uh, the end of the road of the year. Yeah, and like Gavin said, possible, maybe not expected by many, like the men's team, finish off the regular season with some momentum, maybe go into that tournament, make a little bit of noise. Um, That's going to do it for this segment, Oregon women's basketball. We're going to head to another break. We'll be right back here for some NFL playoff talk on KWVA. KWV. 
KWVA. KWVA. In the streets below, traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Oh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. This is Neil Everett from SportsCenter. When I'm in Eugene, I listen to Quack Smack. And you better, too. KWVA Eugene, 88.1 FM. Go Ducks, Quack! Welcome back to Quack Smack. We've covered some Oregon men's basketball and some Oregon women's basketball, but time to shift gears now for our final segment, talk some NFL playoffs. Uh, Super Bowl everyone predicted, right? (laughs) AFC and NFC championships took place yesterday. Chiefs heading to yet another Super Bowl, convincing 17-10 victory over the Baltimore Ravens. And then San Francisco 49ers, won 34 to 31 over the Detroit Dolphins with a massive second half comeback against Detroit. How were those how were those semifinal games for you guys? Uh were they the results you guys were expecting or how are you guys feeling about that? Um I mean, it's not necessarily I think the Super Bowl that a lot of people wanted, but it is the Super Bowl that we're getting and we should get excited for because it, it will be a good game. I think that 49ers-Lions is a different... I think that may have been something that would have been more predictable in the end. I think that that collapse was not... The fact that the Lions got up so quickly and then collapsed was not the prediction. But if you had said, the Niners are going to beat the Lions 34-31, it's going to be a fairly close game, but the Lions aren't going to be able to pull it out in the end, I think people would have said, okay, that sounds about right. If you had told pretty much anybody that the Ravens were going to score 10 points, they would have laughed at you. If you had told anybody that the Ravens were only going to run for 80 yards, they would have laughed at you. This is almost... The Ravens-Chiefs game almost epitomizes the difference of the Chiefs this year versus the Chiefs as they have been in their dynasty, which is that this is fundamentally the Chiefs are a defensive team. 
you think Patrick Mahomes, you think Travis Kelsey, you think Isaiah Pacheco, and you go, oh, well, this is still the Chiefs. They've still got offensive weapons. It's still Mahomes. But this is a team that has gotten where they are because of what their defense has been able to do in that clutch in those clutch moments. And that'll be the biggest thing for me in the Super Bowl is how that defense performs against San Francisco, who has Brock Birdie has notoriously had a little bit of struggles coming into this point. Not did not play particularly well in that Lions game. Um that'll be the story for me. But that Chiefs win, that Chiefs defensive win really encapsulated to me the difference between the Chiefs this year and the Chiefs every other year that they've been in this dynasty and what the Chiefs are as a team and how they should really be looked at, not as Mahomes, but as Chris Jones, as this absolutely dominating force on defense as a collective, that this is not the same Chiefs, but it is almost a, it's a different Chiefs, and it's a Chiefs that I think everybody should really start to appreciate more as to what that defensive side can do as opposed to Mahomes and Kelsey and the usual offensive weapons. Well, yeah, I think this Super Bowl matchup was kind of the the one a lot of people predicted before the entire regular season had even mm-hmm. started. Not, I think when you got to the playoffs and you have the Chiefs as as the three seed, I think uh, still a lot of people, a majority of people would say, oh, the f- we will think the 49ers are going to uh, be through for the uh, NFC. Um, but the Chiefs really weren't up to what we're used to seeing from Kansas City over the years. And I like the point you mentioned, Gavin, is that I think the Chiefs' defense is something that's been really underrated um, and the the times that they've won two Super Bowls, they've now are going to their fifth Super or fourth, right? Fourth Super Bowl, believe so. Yeah. Yes, fourth yeah. Super Bowl. And I mean, if you ask any Chiefs fan, you think, oh, maybe they should have been to a fifth if they um, didn't squander an eighteen point lead at home to Cincinnati that one year. But um, the Chiefs have kind of controlled the the last. They've just been at the top of the AFC, and, and they're doing it in a different way. They're they're not really as flashy. They still have Patrick Mahomes as who's about uh, the, probably about the finest quarterback you have um, in the league still at the moment, but they don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. They don't have that crazy speed anymore, but it's their defense, and it's really a more hard-nosed physical brand of team, and, and, and it's still working to success, which is really impressive. But um, I think the Ravens, the Ravens' scheme I, I don't think was that well. I think they only had something like 11 designed runs, only three carries to Gus Edwards, and I, I think that wasn't really a recipe for success, um, put too much stress on Lamar, and then uh, kind of nearing the end of that game, the pressure really had to be on Lamar Jackson to make a play, and unfortunately for the Ravens and their fans, he wasn't able to come through, but San Francisco was interesting. I think if you, and the Lions was an interesting game. If you look at the score, like you said, yeah, okay, the the Niners just slight were, slightly were able to, to squeak out a win over Detroit, but I mean, the Lions were in control pretty much the whole way. They had a seventeen, a twenty-four to seven lead, seventeen point lead. It's three scores at halftime. You think, all right, Detroit's in really good shape, but um, I think there, there's a point with Dan Campbell, and it, we we kind of talk about it with Dan Lanning and Oregon football last year is that we we like the aggressiveness. Being aggressive, I think, is a good thing, but there comes a point where you're just too aggressive, and it's just not in the right moments. I think the the big game changer was. San Francisco kicked a field goal on their first drive out of the half to cut the lead down to 24-10. Detroit gets in a pretty manageable field goal range for their kicker, and it's a it's a fourth and two, and Dan Lanning pulls the trigger, says, no, we're going for it. That That's who he's been all season. That's what he's going to stick with. So, And unfortunately, they, they didn't convert, and I think that was a tide turner, really. I think that that put the Niners back, um, gave them some momentum, and then were, were able to pull away. But, but Detroit, in the first half, I think they had been – running the ball. David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs looked great. 
Um, that that one-two punch of their run game is really impressive all year, and I think got to that point. But I was just kind of surprised to see them abandon the run game. They really weren't out of it until San Francisco got up by 10 points. So I don't know, kind of a, a strange couple of games this weekend, but but still um, entertaining nonetheless. Yeah, and definitely not how I expected these two games to go. Uh, that Chiefs-Ravens matchup really seemed like it was more than just a one-score game, but obviously Chiefs didn't score in that second half. And then 49ers, not exactly surprised by the first half that Detroit had, but was pretty shocked that 49ers were able to come back from down – 21 to 7 at the half and and to win that game and that's two matchups two weeks in a row for San Francisco just coming back at the end and now they're in the Super Bowl rematch of Super Bowl 54 and I think yeah just to recap those two matchups I think really came down to experience for me um it's a Chiefs team, maybe not the same Chiefs team exactly we've seen in past seasons, but it's a Chiefs team that has lots of experience in the postseason and has that championship DNA uh, that maybe the Ravens lacked. Uh, and and you could say the same thing on the 49ers. They have much more experience than Detroit. Detroit not making the postseason uh, in a while and not winning a, a – uh, postseason matchup the closest they've been in years like uh, let alone um, even making it to the conference championship just winning a game at, at that so still impressive ride for Detroit but San Francisco I think I saw a graphic they showed during the game the Niners had something it was like 50 something players on their roster have been in the NFC championship uh, multiple times and Detroit had like three or something like that so it was really the experience definitely played a big key yeah so potentially the uh, big part of those outcomes and just finishing off uh, this segment in, in this show, uh, just how, again, how do you guys think, you kind of touched on it a little bit, um, Gavin, but how do we think the Chiefs and 49ers matchup, 49ers first time uh, in the Super Bowl in a few years, and then obviously Chiefs defending champions, this is one of, like I said earlier, this is not a good matchup for the 49ers. This is not a good, this is the one of the best defenses in, in the country. Brock Purdy has not necessarily played the best against solid secondaries. It'll be interesting to see what San Francisco can draw up, what Shanahan can draw up to create an advantage in this game. Interesting to see that both Vegas and ESPN have the Niners up on this, that ESPN has... Um, the Niners at 60%. Vegas has the line for San Francisco at one and a half. I would not, I would almost favor the Chiefs in this game simply because the defense versus offense matchup for the Chiefs versus the Niners leans towards the Chiefs just based off the way they've played and the way Brock Purdy has played and the way that the 49ers offense works against that kind of scheme. And Mahomes is Mahomes. At the end of the day, Try to take away from this team. This is the, one of the best. This is the best defense that the Chiefs have had in their dynasty. This is a very heavy defensive team. The defense is the star of this, but fundamentally, you give the ball to Mahomes at the end of the game, and the Chiefs are down by four, and they need a touchdown in the final drive. I'm confident that he would be able to do so, and him making the difference in this game. I think it'll be a close game. 
I think that the Niners are going to keep this one close. I think that it's always going to be the Niners trying to catch up to the Chiefs for a lot of this game. But I think in the end, I think that the Niners offense is simply not good enough to compete at this level with the Chiefs defense. I think that's what it'll come down to. Well, yeah, I think it's really no secret that the 49ers, despite making the Super Bowl, having won their two playoff games, they haven't looked up to their standard in the two of them. And I think you said Brock Purdy, he might struggle against an elite secondary. Well, he struggled against an average secondary and maybe even um, not below average secondary in Green Bay and Detroit. Um, and I think what we're yet to see out of San Francisco and Brock Purdy is for them to play a complete game. So that's going to be the key. It's going to be consistency is going to be key. If, if San Francisco and Brock Purdy can play a clean game, mistake-free, I think they have a chance of bringing home Super Bowl number six. But um, for Kansas City, I, I, I honestly, I want to give them the edge too. I think they, they have the experience. And really, the even though they're underdogs, they've been underdogs in their last two games, and they're going to be underdogs in a third straight game. And really, the key for them is just controlling the time, just controlling the tempo. They went on a couple of just long, methodical, powerful drives against Baltimore. So I think if they can just control the, the ebbs and flows of the game, I, I think we might see Kansas City repeating as champions. Yeah, I think it will be a good matchup. It will be a close one. Uh, if I had to make a prediction, I think, yeah, it will be separated by about a score or so, but Chiefs might have the mental edge over the 49ers, um, again, mentioning rematch of Super Bowl 54. So it will be a good one. That will do it for this edition of Quack Smack. Um, we'll be back tomorrow night. From 6 to 7, talking some more sports. Lily Crane here, Aiden Hess, Gavin Carpenter joining me. Thanks to our producer, Knight Dretzky. Have a good night, everyone. Now we'll send it back to your regular scheduled programming. Quack Smack on KWVA. If you miss any portion of the show or just want to listen again, you can find the full show recordings online at kwvaradio.org. Plus, we're on Twitter at KWVA Sports. Join us again for our next episode tomorrow at 6 p.m. right here on KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM.